Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. up everybody welcome to hang out in the holy land land grants flagship podcast i'm your host josh dooley and with me as always he is never being realigned to another pod the one the only chuck holmes chuck i'm gonna get right down to it how we doing brother so are you saying that i'm like the cow or the oregon state of podcasters nobody wants me is that what you're trying to say yeah, it had nothing to do with your loyalty to me. It was just the fact that nobody else wants you. Uh, I'm just a perennial four and eight podcaster. That's what I am. Hey, you know what? The Mountain West needs guys like you, so that's fine. <laughs> uh, but Chuck and I are recording this on Monday evening, following quite a momentous week and weekend in the world of college sports. So. We're just going to dig right in. No time for pleasantries or filler. Uh, I'm going to ask Chuck to stop messing around like he normally does at the beginning of these pods. So it was announced last Friday that the Big Ten will be adding Oregon and Washington in 2024 as other conferences continue to pick at the dead carcass of the Pac-12, basically. Um, Oregon and Washington will of course, join USC and UCLA as new members of the Big Ten, giving the conference a total of 18 schools covering Parsippany, New Jersey, all the way to Eugene, Oregon, except for the true Northeast, the Southeast, the Southwest, and a few other pockets of the country. But except for those territories, the Big Ten is now a national conference, which I'm sure that they are excited to talk about. Um But look, I think that this is unfortunately just sort of where we've ended up. Chuck, you and I talked about this a little bit. Money and and football rule the world. History and tradition mean absolutely nothing. Conferences are just becoming loose, random alliances. I know that I will inevitably keep watching, but I absolutely hate it. I hate realignment and expansion and the continued ineptitude of the NCAA. I think this is taking us one step closer to the total demise of college football and potentially college sports, although we'll talk about what may eventually come down the pipe, right? But it sucks. And we're going to dig into all sorts of stuff as we navigate through this episode. But first, Chuck, I just want to get your opinion, your feelings on last week's news and just the future state or existence of college football. I'm not as doom and gloom as you are. But we I think need I'm some also, positivity. That's good. You need yeah, to balance me well, out. 
you're you're more romantic about college football than I am, and I, I'm just more of a realist about it. The part that I'm really disappointed about, and I know uh, it does not matter to the powers that be, like you said, it's all a money grab, but the non-revenue sports just do not win in this scenario. And that's really disappointing uh, for somebody who uh, is a father and, and hopes that, you know, his kids, like my oldest, is currently dreaming of going to play uh, college baseball. Well, what what the hell is going to be of college baseball in seven years when he's ready to go? Is it even going to exist? If it's around or otherwise, pack up for the trip to Seattle for a, you know right. a random regular season game. Yeah, he committed to a school in Ohio and he plays in Ohio three times a year, something like that. So <laughs> yeah. That 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 part's tough, um, and and I, you you your heart breaks for those athletes because their lives just got exponentially harder simply because these schools want to make more money through the football program. Now, I don't think this is this is not the end by any means, and it sure feels like and and i guess maybe we can just jump straight into it like to me there there's a couple scenarios here that end up playing out and one of them is like the big 10 just being two conferences and the not there's a west coast and an east coast part of the conference and the non-revenues basically just split but the football conference is all together so that they can get the tv money I think that's something that here in a couple of years could happen, but that's still a couple of years from now. And that's going to be chaos until if we could get to something like that, it's going to be absolute chaos. Yeah. I think there are a million different ways this plays out. And I'm glad you brought up one, but you didn't get into spoiler alert, like some of the possible outcomes and questions that I have for you. But yeah, the only way that this makes sense to me is keeping conferences or, or keeping divisions, I should say, and going back to an East-West or, uh, you know, the original 10 versus the other 10, something like that. <clears throat> I even found something on Twitter, and I'm going to give credit to this guy. I, I don't know if he's affiliated with anybody or just responded to, you know, replied to another tweet, but his name's Brian Hartman at bhartwc21. Again, I have no idea who this guy is, but he brought up the idea of going and getting additional teams, taking it to 24 and having four different pods. You'd have the big 10 Pacific, the big 10 lakes, the big 10 Atlantic, the big 10 plains. And then, you know, how the schools fit in there. I thought it was actually sort of brilliant. Again, credit to Brian. I don't know if that was original or what, but I saw it and I'm going to give him credit. It just, it makes no sense to me, to have, like I said, Rutgers based in Parsippany or located in Parsippany, New Jersey, in the same conference as Washington in Seattle, Oregon in Eugene, USC, UCLA in or around Los Angeles. Like, it's just wild to me. And I absolutely understand why the Big Ten did this. And I'm not too upset that they went after some big fish as opposed to like maybe they could have had conversations with Cincinnati a year or two ago right and that would have made a lot of sense and Cincinnati's sort of up here 
but Oregon is a big fish. You know, Oregon is Nike. Nike is Oregon. Washington is sort of on the comeback here. And you know what you're getting with USC and UCLA. So they went and got big schools to join the conference. And four is better than two, just logistically speaking. So there are some things that I'm I, I'm not going to say happy with, but that I'm content with, I understand. But for it to just be this like, what I called it, a random loose affiliation of schools. I, the Big Ten, because they're a little bit behind or they were behind, they're not doing this right, in my opinion. The SEC, conversely, they've expanded and they're adding Oklahoma and Texas, which are not technically within the geographic footprint, if you will. But Athens to Austin is a hell of a lot better and makes a heck of a lot more sense than West Lafayette to Los Angeles, right? Like, at least the SEC is sort of, sort of, sort of close, geographically speaking, whereas the Big Ten went nuts, the Big 12, you've got UCF and Colorado. Like, what are we doing? And Cincinnati and BYU, there's just, there's no rhyme or reason to that. So, yes, let's hit on that talking point. I think that they need to go back to divisions, and then I might jump back on board with this. I just wonder, and and that's how we feel, but when you go to divisions, then you're not getting the marquee matchups, and TV TV executives are not going to be happy if Ohio State and Oregon aren't playing each other and Ohio State and USC aren't playing each other. I don't know. Maybe you have two or three crossovers as opposed to what was it, like two crossovers usually uh, within the regular season. Maybe you add something like that. Or who cares about non-con? Get rid of it. Non-con can't exist when there are no cons. You know what I mean? Like when there are no conferences, non-con doesn't matter. So you can make it up that way maybe. Then that that that's where you almost have to split the power. What are we at? Two and a half now. Three at well, three and a half. I guess the ACC still a half. I still question whether they hold on. Well, I don't know if you saw this today, Chuck, but because it makes sense, the ACC is looking to add Stanford and Cal, prestigious <laughs> Atlantic Coast Conference sort of teams. Yeah, so say they do hold off. So at that point, then you've got all these uh, non-Power 4 schools that aren't getting any games, aren't getting any revenue from them, and they're really the ones in that scenario that would get hurt. So to me, this just feels like the top 64 to 75-ish schools are going to peel their football off and become a independent football subsidiary. And the NCAA will then oversee the non-Power 5 football programs and the rest of the sports. And that will last a few years until the money runs out. And then who knows from there? Yeah, that's a good point. Like the first part of what you said sounds great. You peel off. It's a separate entity, if you will. But then you're right. Then what happens to the non-Power 5 and the rest of the schools? Because ultimately, a lot of the money comes from football, one way or another, whether that's ticket sales, TV revenue, like you name it, it comes from football, sort of funnels down. And to a certain extent, basketball, maybe a couple other sports are breaking even, making a little bit of a profit. But football does run everything. And 
I, I had mentioned in our Slack group, like I'd like to see what European soccer does. You've got your top 40 or 50 and teams can get relegated. Like they have to fight to stay up. <clears throat> but even then, to your point, the other sports sort of go by the wayside. Look, I, I get that the TV money is insane. And in theory, you think that that would help college sports continue and grow. But like you and I have talked about, in reality, that all all of this realignment and expansion really just poses a threat to most sports. These decisions are made and have been made with football exclusively in mind. And that's sort of easy to do when your teams play once a week for three or four months. But what about baseball, softball, wrestling, men's, women's volleyball, you know, lacrosse, et cetera? Like, is this TV money from football and potentially basketball going to foot the bill for the Maryland lacrosse team to fly to Seattle on a random Tuesday? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it does. But a couple other things come into play that you've either addressed or danced around. You know, how is this travel going to affect the student athletes? I think that's a a large component to this because, you know, it's one thing to once or twice a year make a, a trip to maybe play a neutral site game or something like that. But to potentially fly to Eugene, Oregon and Seattle, Washington and Los Angeles, like for Ohio State, that's not easy. It messes with your body. It messes with your schedule. And at the end of the day, even though we're not treating them as such anymore, the NCAA is not treating them as such anymore. These athletes are students first. You know, what if one of these kids has uh, a final on Wednesday and they're supposed to be in Eugene, Oregon, Saturday night, coming home Sunday, gets delayed. Like it opens up Pandora's box for student athletes. And then the fans, I asked you this before we jumped on, like how often are you going to make the trip to Eugene or Seattle for an October like conference game, right? Like there are so many questions and the only positive I really see is more top 25 matchups, which is just a better TV product when it comes to football. So the, the TV deal wins out, but and I just want to throw a couple questions at you, Chuck, and then we can either discuss them or move on quickly. But number one, which is more likely other air quote sports go away or football becomes its own separate entity governed by a body or a commissioner? Which is more likely? I think football uh, gets separated. The other sports aren't going away. Uh, that if that happened, that actually would be when uh, I think you would get some congressional interference yeah, because uh, the the one thing that those other sports provide, and I've I've saw something about how the Olympic uh, sports are going to be affected, and Olympic athletes are not going to be able to train as effectively when they're competing in the way they are. Because let's be honest, if uh, Rutgers has a hundred thousand dollar budget for their dive team and they have to spend five extra thousand dollars to go to Eugene or go to Washington or go to LA twice. 
they're not getting five extra thousand. They're just going to have to cut that elsewhere. Guess where they're going to cut it? They're going to cut it in training. They're going to cut it in uh, quality of food. They're going to cut it in the, uh, the number of uh, PT uh, sessions. Enjoy, enjoy that Lunchable, guys. We got we to fly right. to Seattle. We got to fly to Seattle. So you get uh, a junior bacon cheeseburger and a water on your flight. And we're flying in... Uh, we're flying in the smallest plane. Yeah, we're flying Spirit God. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that's where it's going to hurt them, right? That their experience isn't going to be as good because their budgets aren't going to expand. Because let's be honest, all this extra money they're making, they're not putting it into these uh, into these other sports. Like, Ohio State's one of the few that actually invest in, like, infrastructure for their other programs. And I still don't feel like they do enough. And, and some all fans the hate that they even do that. Like, just give everything tight. to football. Yeah, like, come on. But, like, Rutgers, just because they get this extra money, guess what? They're still trying to build a good football program. So a lot of that extra money is going to go to Shiano. It's not going to go to field hockey or and and ice hockey and, and all these other sports. So they're going to suffer because of the extra expenses that have to be involved with all the training. So I, I don't see them disappearing simply because – it's, it's essentially our pipeline for the Olympics. And that part of it would cause the government, rightly or wrongly, and, and we don't have a four-hour podcast for how government should or shouldn't operate. But rightly or wrongly, I do think there would be some intervention if and when uh, sports started getting cut at some of these programs. So to me, it... it just makes too much sense for it to not be a separate entity and then some kind of regulation on percentage of it, it's essentially going to be like a, a CBA and in, in any of these major sports where a percentage of the uh, revenue can go to those football programs and the rest of it has to get put back into their schools or something like that. And it, it might actually regulate spending at some point. It's in some of them, you know, uh, if Rutgers in Maryland and uh, Minnesota get the same equal vote as Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State, you might get some regulation on top-end spending within these programs, and it might uh, increase some parity. You never know. Yeah, God forbid there's a limit on like locker room spending, right? You see some of these locker rooms, and it's like, okay, so maybe you don't get all of the bells and whistles. You just get 90% of them, but I hadn't thought about that. I think that's a good point that we could see some sort of intervention with, with these other sports. And you would hope that if it came to that, said intervention would take place because you don't want to see these other varsity sports go by the wayside. Chuck, second question here. What if an athlete or athletes don't want to want to travel extensively for academic or personal reasons? Like what if they just say no? If it's the once or twice per year that we have to go all the way across the country, I, don't, I just, you know, I'm uncomfortable doing so. Or like I said, you have a big final or a test to study for and say it's a Myron role type athlete, right? A Rhodes Scholar with, you know, he's working on his master's thesis and he's got this massive, you know, important test or something coming up or her, you know, whomever. But I use it as an, as an example. What if athletes just say no once or twice a year? There's not enough of them to make a difference. I mean, let's be honest. There's what? just yeah. not. They're all here to. They're all here. They're not here to play school. So they they want to play football. 
and they what want if Marvin to be Harrison those. Jr. is deathly afraid of flying? Uh, I mean, that could be possible. My suggestion to those student athletes, though, is they need to get ahead of that. And there's still plenty of if, if you want to do both, you're just going to like you're not going to go power five is what it's going to end up being. Or maybe you go to the ACC if they don't <laughs> if they don't bring in uh, Cal and Stanford. You can stay in the ACC and you're on puddle jumpers. But if not, like if that's seriously somebody's problem, they're going to end up in the MAC or the WAC or something like that where it's all regional travel. And then you can, you know, you can still live out your NFL dreams if you play well enough. And there's still plenty of high quality academic institutions in those conferences that you can also double dip and, 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 get to enjoy both uh, ends of being a student athlete. Yeah. And I thought of this because it, it's rare, but it has happened, you know, take a guy like Royce white, the former basketball player, right? He couldn't fly, had the anxiety and it ultimately put him out of the NBA. He had some other issues, obviously, but now these college athletes are going to be making that cross country flight, potentially a half a dozen times per season or more. I don't know what it then, you know, comes out to. To that point though it like it may not happen in football a lot but it might happen in the non-revenues like think about it if i'm a a lacrosse athlete or baseball chuck like you can tell me more how many games does a a college baseball team play per year yeah they're they're in the 50 range the the challenge with the 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 teams up north is they're already used to traveling because the season starts in february so teams up north like they spend a ton of their first six weeks of their season playing down south already, but in a scenario where that's not the case, say it's um, swimming. Say you're a, a really good swimmer, you can go to Ohio State, but you already know you're going to have to go to LA, you're going to have to go to Eugene, you're going to have to go wherever it may be, or you can go to Miami of Ohio. You're not a world class swimmer. So this is literally just something that you're doing to do during college. You go to Miami of Ohio, and now you're driving two hours instead of flying five and getting jet lagged and not performing as well. So it might help the the non-Power 5 schools in the non-revenue get better athletes, but that won't actually do anything for revenues for them. Yeah. Or the individual athletes. You said swimming and you talked about it for for your reason. But then I thought of it like if somebody competes in an individual sport, it's like it doesn't matter if I if I'm at Miami of Ohio or Ohio State. You know, if if I'm a golfer and I can get a club in my hands and play against anybody, then why the heck not? You see that a lot of times it's for academic reasons, but like you see it in wrestling, some of the best wrestlers in the NCAA or like, oh, hey, you know, Cornell's got a great program, and I, I, I don't give a shit about the conference that they wrestle in because I'm going to still get to go to these incredible meets and represent my school because I'm an awesome individual. So um, kind of twofold there. But my next question is specific to the Big Ten. Chuck, do you think that this could have an adverse, like, unintended effect? Yes, millions are going to watch – OSU versus USC, right? But what if like 11 people watch Rutgers versus Washington at 10 p.m. on a Saturday night? Like that can't be good for TV partners. And what if a kid is like, look, I'd rather go and play in, well, 
that's a separate part of the question. We'll just we'll 86 that part. But could this have an unintended effect just because of the now, like the sort of shitty games you're creating? Because there's no rivalry, there's no tie-in, there's no history. Sure, and I think what this could do potentially is here as at the end of these TV contracts, you could hear rumblings of conferences saying, "Hey, you're not pulling your weight, and you have to go." So in a scenario where they say, "Hey, you went to Eugene, Seattle, and LA twice in the last whatever six years, Rutgers, and here are your ratings, they stink." Nobody wants to watch your product, and we're not going to – we're either, A, you're not going to stay in the conference, or, B, when every team gets $75 million, you only get 40 And And I, I'm making numbers up. And that, yeah, yeah. obviously, in six years, they're going to be higher. So, it like, so that could be a scenario. I do think it is going to – there is the potential for something like that where the revenue – is not evenly distributed. And I know Oregon and Washington is not being evenly distributed as it is. But if everybody doesn't get the same revenue, the same concept is what Florida State wants in the ACC. If that happens, the gap, it'll be the exact opposite of what we talked about earlier with parity. And it'll literally just be 10 schools that are the best schools. And it'll be the ones that draw. You can name the 10 schools that are going to be competing every year because they're going to have so much more money than everybody else based on TV contracts. So it's <laughs> the there could be 10 different ways this goes, and eight of them are really bad for a lot of programs. And maybe all 10 are bad for at least a few programs. So it's it's going to be unbelievably fascinating to to deal with and it's going to be an interesting next four or five weeks until the season really truly gets rolling and people start talking about ball as opposed to uh the back uh the the behind the scenes politics yeah uh, this is this has to be part of college football's ploy to like become the nfl like how, how do we stay in the news cycle all right, we're just going to start sending schools all over the place. It doesn't matter. But um, I've got a couple more here, and it's – you don't have to go nearly as in-depth here, and I don't think that we will. When it comes to the schools that the Big Ten is bringing in, whenever they identified them, do you think that they were just late to the game? Do you think they got beat to the punch? Because – why not pick off a Cincinnati, like I said earlier, or some of the big 12 schools before it sort of like was given a, a second life in bringing in, like I said, Cincinnati, BYU, things like that. At least then you could make it make some sort of sense from a geographic perspective. Do you think the Big Ten was just late? No, I think they use the exact same model they use with Maryland and Rutgers and that they're getting into different households now, right? The Big Ten Network is now going to be, whether it's offered cable-wise, and, and obviously cable subscriptions is another conversation, but you're either going to get it added to more cable providers in other markets, and or you're going to have people buying standalone subscriptions, especially in those markets where they're not going to be the marquee every single week. Washington's a good program. Guess what? They're not going to be on ABC or I'm sorry, not ABC, uh, CBS or 
uh, NBC every Saturday night. They're, it's going to be Ohio State still. It's going to be Penn State. Now, when they play those teams, they will. But when Washington's playing Purdue, they better have the Big Ten app or they're not going to be watching that game. So that is what they were looking at more than anything. Cincinnati fans already have the Big Ten network. That brings zero dollars in. And it goes back to this is literally all about bringing in more dollars. It's funny that you bring up the Big Ten network and the Big Ten app because, I mean, for those of you who haven't seen it or don't watch it, like, it's awful. So I wonder if now some of these like Washington and Oregon are like, look, can we revamp? Like, can we upgrade from 720p? Can we like, you know, get some big names in studio or something like that? Because I'm sure Phil Knight is not happy with the production quality of Big Ten Network. No offense. But um, it's sort of funny that you brought that up. I'll hit you with one more. Does this bring like Joey Harrington and uh, are they going to bring Warren Moon out of retirement from Washington? Maybe Brock Purdy or not Brock Purdy, uh, Brock Heward over and, and get some alumni in to the Big Ten Network now? Hopefully. I mean, it's nothing personal against some of the guys on there. But I just, I, personally, I think the production value sucks. I, I'll just say it flat out. They have some personalities, but you compare it to some of the other ones and you're just like, this is not even the same ballpark. They're making money because Ohio state's on it three times a year. Michigan's on it three times a year. Like that's how they make their money. And they'll make their money out West when they put Oregon and Washington on it a couple times a year. That's, that's all they're you're paying the whole year for those three or four games. And then if you're a basketball fan, the six or eight games you watch on that too. Sure. Absolutely. Last question I've got for you, a bit of a curveball here. With this expansion, you know, they've got the Midwest, they've got uh, the West Coast. Chuck, do you think that the Big Ten goes after, like, Puerto Rico or Alaska next just so they can say that they're, like, the truly national conference? Because what they're doing right now makes absolutely no damn sense. Why not just go and get, you know – Puerto Rico University or Alaska Fairbanks or something and just say, hey, we, we went there first. I was actually hoping they'd go after like Hawaii and go somewhere where it's going to be warm. Uh, but I, I can get behind anything in Puerto Rico. I could also get behind like uh, like a American University in Israel, maybe. Is that just a let's territory? Let's go worldwide. It's not, but why not? Why, oh, why you do just we want to, to oh, well, then, yeah, then we can get. Let's go global. Do you realize how many people watch t- in Toronto? <laughs> yeah, <why not? laughs> yeah, University of Toronto plays football here. That's just, Maybe they could just get the CFL teams and just put them into college. I wonder, the, the, the quality is probably comparable. I, our CFL fans who are listening might disagree but i mean look you put ohio state up against the saskatchewan rough riders or um there's like some greyhounds or something i don't know all the names but (laughs) what about the alouettes yeah the montreal alouettes i know a couple of the teams so um but those are the questions i have i there's still so much to sort out Clearly, I am the more pessimistic one. I just because, yeah, I'm a I'm a traditionalist. I I like that conferences meant something. I like that, you know, the Big Ten was blue collar and the Big 12 was sort of airing it out and things like that. Like that meant something to me. This is like the NFL's equivalent of the AFC North adding 
just the Rams. You'd be like, what are we what are we doing? Why why are the Los Angeles Rams in the same division as the Baltimore Ravens and Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals, obviously, Pittsburgh Steelers, but like you, or I am like you in the sense that I am resigned to this, or I was resigned to this. Like it was just it was coming. And at the very least, the Big Ten Conference went out and, like I said, they reeled in some big fish. So you've got to give them credit for that. But I probably won't be on board, but I'll continue to watch. Everyone's going to continue to watch. And that's why they could do this and they wanted to do it. Because, you know, honestly, if you polled every single college football fan, I'd say the majority don't like this. But they love the damn sport so much that they're just like, well, whatever. It's it's what I have to do. So every yeah, everybody that hates it is still going to be watching all season long. Not a single one. Not one of us is going to turn the games off because there's too much money being thrown around. We're just not. And if I'm being completely honest, like Pac-12 after dark gets me through some dark, you know, days, whether it's gambling or my team has lost or something like that. Pac-12 after dark is a nice little feather in the cap now that the Big Ten has. So, With the Big Ten teams, you're going to have some familiarity with them. So when they're playing at 10 p.m., you're going to be able to more accurately bet against Purdue and Michigan State (laughs) and maybe Penn State in a big game and make a little bit of that money back that you inevitably lost from noon until 9 p.m. I didn't even think about that, man. Like You look at the representation – all four of the Pat, all the four current, soon to be former Pac-12 schools, good teams, right? So all of these Big Ten teams are going to have to travel west. They are going to play a quality football team, whereas USC, they might not even send some of their starters to New Jersey. They're like, forget about that. We're going to keep our guys here, or they're not even getting on the plane. Um, so that could be another adverse, un- unintended effect, right? Like, what if these former Pac-12 schools are heading out to, whether it's New Jersey, West Lafayette, Minneapolis, or just be like, look, I, Caleb Williams doesn't need to go. We've got a, a former five-star recruit behind him. We like what he, he's done in practice. So he's getting the start against Minnesota. Could that happen? I think that's a little bit much, but what I will say is all these West Coast schools coming uh, to the East Coast for 12 p.m. kickoffs. Bet the home dogs, baby. <laughs> Those West Coast schools are not covering. Look at all the, the NFL teams. Wait till it's Halloween. Wait till it's November, December. You yes, know where my absolutely. money's going. Yeah, bet those home dogs because there's no way – USC isn't going to be a little jet lag, not ready to for that 8, p, or that 8 a.m. Pacific uh, kickoff or, or start to the game. So they're, they're in trouble on the gambling side. And then maybe, just maybe, some of the USC guys start gambling on it because they know it. And then we got a whole other problem. Or maybe it's the Rutgers players. They know, hey, we're going to cover this game. We're covering tonight. So they throw a little cash on it. And then all of a sudden, we got another Iowa-Iowa State issue. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Iowa-Iowa State thing is a, a whole separate sort of story entirely. But look, I, I think we'll talk about this throughout. We're probably going to talk about this for the next five years, uh, honestly, until something 
bigger, something greater happens specifically with college football. So I say we put a pin in it. And Chuck, unless you feel otherwise, let's take a break. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about some more Ohio State-centric stuff. Does that sound good? Yes, let's get to some Buckeyes, something we actually enjoy. All right, welcome back, everybody, to hang out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley. With me, as always, is Chuck Holmes, and we're going to talk Buckeye football. It's about time. We went uh, about 35 minutes deep on some realignment and and expansion talk, but Chuck, let's change it up a bit. Let's discuss some of what we're hearing and or reading coming out of Ohio State's first few fall practices. We don't have to spend a ton of time on these or just go nuts, whatever you want to do, because you know, I, I don't think we can or should read too much into certain things just yet. But I found a, a couple of tidbits to be interesting or, or worthy of quick conversation. So I'm going to give you a list of topics. Let's start wherever you want. I've got Sonny Styles at Nickel. Jihad let's Carter. just go ahead and stop, 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 stop. <clears throat> okay, stop. let's do it. Let's get there. So inject... Inject this straight into my veins. I am here for Sonny Styles getting first team reps. I know you're excited about it, so I'm going to sort of tee you up a little bit. But for those of you who have not read or heard yet, Sonny Styles has been sort of first up with the ones at safety, which you hear that and you're like, okay, yeah, Sonny Styles stud makes sense. Let's get him out there on the field. But what I found interesting, what I think others found to be interesting, is the fact that he was playing in that nickel position, playing sort of the in the slot, which you think about, what, 6'4", 220, that's, that's not a nickel sort of guy. It never has been, never will be, but an interesting little wrinkle. I think I know why Ohio State might be using him there, but before I get to sort of what I'm thinking, Chuck, you're, you're over the moon excited for this, so just – Go nuts for a little bit. What do you think about Sonny Styles lining up at that nickel position? Well, you shortchanged him. I think it's probably 6'5", 230 by now. So he he's looks even six, bigger six, and 250. Like, we could just keep yeah, He looks hoss. like LeBron James. I, part of why I think they're playing him in the nickel, and I, I'm all for them kind of thinking outside the box with this, is at that size – if and when it's a run play, it almost turns him into a third linebacker, right? Exactly. Because he's closer to the line of scrimmage. If you run his way, can you imagine a slot receiver trying to block him and hold up the edge against him? Or even like even tight ends. Like there's not many tight ends that are going to be as strong as him. Like he's I going to been, be I know it's been a long time, but when you first said that, like for some reason I always think Hunter Renfro. When I hear slow, I like no matter yeah, what, absolutely. I just always think Hunter Renfro. Hunter's going to get put right on his butt and de-cleat it if he tries to, like, tries to hold up. Like, so this could be a both parts of the defense, like the passing and the run game, that he can affect by being in this spot. And I, I, I love it. I love the creativity that I'm hoping and I'm optimistic that this is bringing out of Jim Knowles. And I cannot wait 
I can't wait. I, I am. This is the most uh, excited I've been about a player in a position in a long time. I, I, I am not uh, bashful to say I am uh, Sunny Styles for life. Yeah, when you think about players that you've been excited about just because they're going to play a position, not because of like how great they are. I think back to like Andy Katzmoyer. I was like, Andy Katzmoyer is going to kill people. Like he just looked like the the biggest, nastiest, most fierce linebacker. So when it's like a guy going to play a position, that's what I think back to. But when I first heard about this, and for some reason, maybe I just had Clemson on the brain. I thought Isaiah Simmons, right? The former linebacker safety hybrid for them, who was just so, and he played some end too as a rusher. He was just so athletic that he could really go anywhere on the field. And now that he's in the NFL, I think he's actually transitioning full-time to safety, if I'm not mistaken. But he was primarily like a linebacker in college. That's sort of what I'm thinking is, yes, this hybrid role that can play linebacker can easily easily transition to safety, potentially even rush when called upon because he's such a freak athlete. And, yeah, you think about the size, the ability to – probably run with just about anybody and then lay just about anybody on their ass. Like not many guys can do that. I even think of um, the size is not a great comp, but like Buda Baker also for Arizona. So I'm thinking Clemson and Cardinals for whatever reason, Buda Baker plays a lot of almost linebacker, but he's a almost an undersized traditional safety. He's just, he's so versatile. He's so good at everything he does that you can move him around like a chess piece. Sign me up. Let's move them around like chess pieces. That's something that we haven't been able to talk about as Ohio State fans, like the 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 coaching aspect of it and just putting their guys in the right spot every single time and confusing. We've had some bad com- chess pieces or some <laughs> yeah. mismanaged. Like, look, nothing. Shit, eleven like Jack Sawyer last year. Like, come on, that was that was mismanaged. Right. So I'm excited. I hope they've learned the error of their ways. And I apologize to all the other um, topics you had, but we had to just do that one first. Well, no, it's perfect. I'm glad you were excited about this one. And you said maybe they've learned their lesson. Well, one of my other interesting tidbits I'm going to bring up because I don't think that they have or I don't know that they have a guy that I've been pounding the table for is second-year defensive end, defensive end, Kenyatta Jackson. Well, during one of their first couple of practices, he was participating in seven-on-seven instead of defensive line drills. And, you know, a reporter alluded to or asked about him playing the jack, and it was mentioned as – I don't want to misquote it, but basically it was mentioned as a possibility, and the Ohio State coaches didn't shoot it down. So, A, I find that very interesting. B, that tells me maybe they haven't learned their lesson because Kenyatta Jackson is not a jack. He's not a star. You know, whatever you want to call that, you're, he is a freakishly built, bendy, dynamic, long, fast edge rusher. Um but so I thought that was interesting. I don't know if you caught that, but to see him participating in seven on seven drills, I was like, like we gotta, 
86 that. Just get him down with Larry Johnson and leave him alone. It sure seems like the Jack position is back. Like I, I heard something else where they're talking about where it's not going to be uh, as quote unquote prominent, but it's it's back. Now, I don't think Jack Sawyer is going to be playing it. I do think they learned their lesson with guys like him, but it sure sounds like Kenyatta Jackson. Uh, sounds like uh, as he's rehabbed and, and come back, Mitchell Melton's going to be back in yep. that spot. And I even heard that they've uh, had conversations about C.J. Styles potentially being in that spot as an effort to get him back on the field, or not get him back on the field, get him on the field and get him reps when he's got two uh, dynamic linebackers in front of him. So it sure seems like it's going to be something they do. Now, I'm more open to guys like Melton and Hicks in an effort to get them on the field as a sub package concept, as opposed to it being something. And, and Kenyatta Jackson's one of those. If you truly want him to be that third or fourth defensive end, that's going to be somebody that's in sub packages and rushing the passer frequently. You probably don't want to mess with him standing up, going down, standing up, going down. So I, he's less of a, um, Somebody I'm, I'm happy to see there. So I hope it's something that they figure out quickly. Um, and, and maybe part of it, I know that one of the other things they mentioned is they may not be rotating defensive linemen as much this year as they have in the past. And maybe that's part of it is if he's not going to put his hand in the dirt because he's not going to get as many snaps there, they're trying to figure out where he gets those snaps. If that's the case, I'm kind of okay with it, but Holy smokes, if he's that good, you just let him pin his ears back and go. And, and I'm projecting, you know, I liked him coming out of high school as a recruit. Then you've seen what he did in like spring practices in the spring game. He was borderline dominant. Yeah, look, if they use it as a, as a sub package and it's something that they are going to run, I don't know, 10, 15% of the time, like I'm okay with that. But if you're going to use it, use it the right way. And if you're guessing at when you use it or you're not real sure, then I think you're going to get yourself in trouble because, yeah, I, I look at a guy like Kenyatta Jackson, great athlete, but I, I don't want him dropping into any sort of coverage. Like I, I just, that doesn't make any sense to me. I think it's a recipe for disaster. I've not coached football. Jim Knowles, Larry Johnson, those guys have forgotten more than I'll ever know in my entire life. <clears throat> but that seems like a recipe for disaster. I'll, I'll lump these other, uh, I'm going to keep calling them tidbits in together. Just a bunch of guys either running with the ones or at least rotating with the ones. Chuck, give me your general thoughts. So we've got Jihad Carter uh, running with the ones at the adjuster, sort of free safety position, the deep safety position, which is, Sort of surprising based on his past experience, but maybe not. You know, older guy, coachable. Jordan Hancock running with the ones. Zen Mikalski running with the ones at right tackle. And then Taiwan Malone, the transfer from Ole Miss, was not running specifically with the ones, but he rotated in. And that may or may not have been because Tyler Williams was a little banged up. But I, I throw a bunch of names at you there. What comes to mind when you hear those four? I'm happy to hear Carter has 
overcome whatever injuries. Obviously, he was banged up a little bit in the offseason, so I'm happy to see that. And to me, that states that he's head and shoulders above some other guys because if you're banged up during the offseason, you miss some of the offseason program, and you're still running with the ones, that that bodes well for your talent level. Um, the Hancock one, I'm happy about it. Like I And I'm a, a Davis and Igbenosan fan, but that – same thing. Like if he's holding him off, because I have no no question that Davidson's going to be a good player here. So if Hancock is still holding him off, and maybe some of that's because he is been in the program and he knows the defense a little bit, and that's okay too. So if they're if that's the case, those three corners being dynamic is holy smokes. That that's trouble for the other for the defenses. Um, I think the Mikowski news. Uh, probably confirms what I was saying about Josh Simmons all the way. Wait, what, what's his, what does he go Jimmy. by now? Jimmy. Jimmy Simmons. I forgot about Jimmy. It probably confirms what I was saying about Jimmy when he committed, that if he wasn't a good right tackle elsewhere, he's not all of a sudden going to be a good right tackle here. So I don't think, I don't think he's probably the answer, at least to start the I, season. Uh, I, I'm going to jump in on that one just because like, he was a, a solid recruit. I know he ended up at San Diego State. You don't know He was coaching. bad at San Diego State, though. Yeah, but who was coaching him, man? Like, we, we don't know. That San Diego State program has not been great for a while. Although, damn, I remember Marshall Falk. I saw, like, a clip or something online recently. Like, damn, you want to talk Ooh, about your old. I, I know, right? Um But he's also very, very new to the program. So that's why... I think Zen Mikowski is seeing the first reps, but again, I interrupted. I'll let you continue with what, you know, the point you were making. My thought on the Mikowski news more was what, where's that put Tager Shibola? Like we have heard great things all off season that he is doing what he needs to do. Is he, is he, I guess yeah. we haven't seen it too deep to, to really see. And, and I, I have not heard news of who's running with the two. So maybe that's a different concept, but I thought he was going to be the one that kind of took that job just from all the news you hear, but maybe that was the old fake news on us. So who was the, who was the other one you got? Oh, Malone. Taiwan hey, Malone from Ole you Miss. Can constantly, yeah. You get a, a third, if even if he ends up being the third defensive tackle in a rotation with the two guys that are projected to be high draft picks and he can earn playing time, that's a big deal because Ohio State has been less – uh, less uh, willing to rotate defensive tackles when there's been a drop off. I feel like they still do it at defensive end, no matter what. That's why John uh, uh, John Baptiste got four thousand snaps in his career here when he didn't deserve <laughs> them. I don't think they do that at um, defensive tackle as much. So if he earns some playing time and can keep everybody fresh, and it's just a they're just rolling in studs all the time. I'm, I can't I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I mean, he offers that athletic upside, right? Former baseball player. I mean, he went to Ole Miss to play both. Uh, you see him swing a bat, and you're like, what the hell's going on? But I, I think you need bodies there. And Ty Hamilton is also in the mix. But sure. Ty Hamilton, yeah. he's a little undersized, but he's always been pretty consistent, honestly, um, in Columbus. So I don't want to take anything away from him. I just think that there's more – upside 
because of the size athleticism combination that those other like top three or what we think the top three are, what they offer and bring to the table. But um, yeah, again, I don't want to read too much into really anything that's going on right now. Even though you said quarterback sort of the opposite, we probably want to read into all that, but I, I don't even really want to bring that up because I think it's another 20, 25 minutes in and of itself that we probably rehash. And I don't think we're going to find out about much. I don't think we're going to find much out about that um, until a couple of weeks from now. So that's sort of where I'm at with early camp stuff, Chuck. Did anything else jump out or grab your attention that I may have missed? I don't think so. You you hear some people rumbling online that like Carnell Tate is starting to like already separate himself a little bit and might be getting some some wide receiver three yeah. playing time like echoes. How, how how are you feeling with your real estate if if and when that that is the case? I guess if he's that good. Do you just take the loss and just be happy for the team? Are you a team player in that, or do you? The loss you talk has your... the loss has been taken. Like it's a sunk cost. Well, yeah, but you haven't <laughs> you haven't actually talked to your accountant yet and said, "Hey, we got a problem here," or my, we, we got to figure question out. For my money guy is going to be is Julian Fleming practicing yet? Do we know? You know, he rarely practices, if ever. Um, missed the spring sessions and whatnot, but. Yeah, look, if if Carnell Tate is all that in a bag of chips, like he's sort of shown during the spring, then look, put the best guys on the field, especially with a new quarterback. You want, you want the biggest and best weapons out there. Now, I, I still think that Julian Fleming fills a need or, or fills a role because he's just – He's a little bit different. You know, he can do some of the underneath stuff. He's shown to be a very willing blocker. And, and I think that's important. But, yeah, you know, if he's splitting reps 50-50 with Cardell Tate, then, I mean, so be it. Even if, heck, if Jaden Ballard is in there, based on what we know about his theoretical upside, like, yeah, Julian Fleming has had his opportunities, and I, I I hope that he balls out this year. But when you're this far into your career, it's like, well, you know, sometimes you just get laughed. You get Wally pipped, which I, is something that you brought up on last week's pod. Like things like that happen, and it's a bummer if you like a certain player or you're rooting for a certain player. But I still think that he will play a role regardless. I think that's fair. The only other one I think I had, have you put any money on Kate Stover for the Mackey since he's on the watch list? Is that something you would be willing to sprinkle a few dollars on? I have not found the odds. I'm sure they are out there. When you do find them, text me right away because, yes, I will. This is the year of the tight end. I'm going to say it every year until it comes to fruition. But, look, people like Keith Stover, and I do too. And, look, I, I understand he's not a perfect player. He missed his share of blocks last year. He didn't catch absolutely everything that came his way. Not 
many tight ends do. And I think like his first year playing that position full time, I think he showed a lot. And yeah, why the hell not? I've talked about it on, I think with you and I've written about it in the past too. Like a good tight end can also be a new quarterback's best friend because of what they can do underneath, because they can act as a safety valve, things like that. So I'm not saying he's the most dynamic tight end. There are probably 20 others in NCAA football, but I'll I'll throw some money on some long odds. Sure. You've seen some of my parlays. Like, I'm not afraid to go. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you love to throw money away. If if he were to win and you want enough money on it, would you consider after his – after his eligibility is exhausted, would you consider buying him a tractor if he won you enough money? Shit, if I could afford him one, um, it would have to be well. If, long if he odds wins and it, big money, his odds are long. Let's just—I mean, we're we're, we're talking. I, I tell you what, twenty thousand one here. Uh, I am saying this now and sort of hoping you forget it, but whatever. If he wins the Mackey. I will get the Cade Stover haircut. Ooh. The pseudo-mohawk, I will, I'll do it. I hope Mrs. Dooley is listening to this podcast. I know she listens frequently to hear what I have to say, but hopefully she did not mute while you were talking, and uh, we, we have this on record so she can prepare herself now. She hates most of my looks anyway, so, you know, just... Add it to the list. I'm not sure in a professional setting how well it would be received, but I'd be like, look, guys, Kate Stover won the Mackey Award. Like, let's, yeah, let's I mean, all live a little bit. Do you guys realize how ridiculous what just happened is? We have to celebrate this. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think we've covered a lot, and we should probably transition based on a bet that I, I do not want to you know, come to fruition or fulfill, but I will. But you've talked about ridiculous. You said the word celebration. I think that we should talk about some teams that are ridiculous and have no chance of celebrating this year. Can I interest you in a topic like that? Let's make it quick. I don't want to talk about these stinking teams very long. Well, you know, we'll we'll see. So, Look, with housekeeping and current events out of the way, Chuck and I are now going to jump into some quasi-Big Ten team previews. He and I are obviously going to go into greater detail when many of these teams play Ohio State, but what we wanted to do as sort of a our season preview was break down, break the Big Ten down into three categories or tiers, contenders, pretenders, and bottom feeders. Those should all be pretty self-explanatory. And since everyone, you know, sort of has to eat their veggies before dessert, we are going to start at the bottom with those bottom feeders. These are the teams projected to finish near the bottom of the Big Ten by us. Although we did not differ much from expert opinion. Maybe when we get to pretenders, we will. But it was sort of unanimous here. Chuck, are you ready to talk about some bottom feeders and some uh, probably crappy football teams? Yeah, I feel like we could almost just announce all four of them. And then, like, because their problems are all the same. 
right? They all have the almost the same deficiencies. A couple of them are good on defense, and that's about their difference. That might be their hope. But they all suck the same way, and because of that, there's no secrets to them, unfortunately for them. Well, look, I took some notes. So, damn it, you're going to go through this with me, and we're going to talk about some bottom here because maybe you'll disagree with one of these. I, I haven't given you the entire list yet. Uh, I gave you what I was sort of thinking about. The And I'll give you some over-unders, too. These were put out by CBS Sports on June 21st from Caesars. I just looked as quickly as I could, found something that's semi-recent for our over-under. So <clears throat> we've got four bottom dwellers. First on the list is, shockingly, Northwestern. Not high hopes. Uh, over-under on their win total. This was in June was three and a half. I don't really know what we Give me that to... under. <laughs> I, I don't really know what we need to cover here, Chuck, other than what we've talked about previously. You know, this program is being forced to hit the reset button. They have a first-time head coach and a dilapidated roster. The Wildcats did, you know, they landed transfer quarterback Ben Bryant from Cincinnati. I, I feel bad for him because he battled a lot of adversity in Cincinnati, was decent for the Bearcats, then transfers to Northwestern in May, and the scandal comes to light shortly thereafter. So double yikes for him. They do have a couple of decent linebackers in the middle of Bryce Gallagher and Xander Mueller or Muller. But look, this team went 1-11 last season, and I envision similar results in 2023. Any disagreements, any other points you want to bring up for Northwestern and their three and a half over under as of June? No, Ben Bryant is uh, not the answer. I watch a lot of uh, Cincinnati games being a Cincinnati native. He was not the answer last year Um, for whatever reason. um, I guess Edmund Prater wasn't ready and he got the job and he kept the job. But he was not good for the Bearcats. He was decent. Uh, I can't remember which directional Michigan school he transferred in from after starting at UC originally. So this is his fourth stop, third school, I think ninth year of college football. And You got to love um, the the modern day NCAA. You and I have talked about this offline a hundred times. You and I loved the fourth school, seventh season guys and girls yeah he's not the answer i i hope for his sake he's getting a good um jump on his master's degree a master's from northwestern is nothing to shake a stick at so that is going to be his claim to fame coming out of this season because he and this team are going to be brutally bad are you underestimating the skip holtz factor back-to-back usfl champion uh, 17 and three in the regular season. <laughs> Not many people can say that they have had that, you know, achieved that level of success in the USFL 2.0. I think he could help keep the place from lighting on fire. I just don't think on Saturday, it, it just doesn't matter. There's not enough talent. They didn't bring in enough talent. They were one at 11 and didn't have an infusion of talent and then fired their coach. So, it's not a great situation. I, uh, if it was 
two and a half, I would bet the under. Looking at their schedule, one and a half, I might still consider it. So I'm guessing that you also don't have the all-purple matchup between Northwestern and Washington circled next year uh, on a fake schedule that we don't know about yet. At 10 p.m. on a Saturday, you won't be dialed into that, presumably? Uh, I will if I've lost my ass that day <laughs> and I need Washington to cover some of it. <laughs> There's always one more, baby. There's always one way to win back some money. So, yeah, let's move on past Northwestern. <clears throat> Um, sucks for the kids, sucks for some of the coaches and uh, the people that are still there, but it is what it is. Second bottom feeder we've got here is the Indiana Hoosiers over under of four wins. I, I was a Tom Allen guy at one point, but I have since sold all of my stock. I got out of that game a long time ago. I dumped those shares for pennies on the dollar because simply put, he ain't coming back. Like, yeah, technically he'll be at Indiana to start the season, but the Cinderella coaching version of Tom Allen, he ain't coming back. Uh, I think that he is a sound football mind and players seem to like him, but the wheels fell off completely without Michael Penix Jr. Even the defense has taken a big step back in recent years, likely as a byproduct of being on the field all the damn time they can't recruit they have whiffed in the transfer portal you know young offensive coordinator walt bell probably deserves a little bit of time due to some past success and uh, on the offensive side but i just don't know where the bright spots are the hoosiers did bring in a former four-star quarterback at both quarterback and running back in Taven jackson from tennessee and christian Turner from Michigan and then Wake, but we've seen that movie before. They did the same thing with Connor Bazelak and a few running backs in 2022. Not much to sell you on here, Chuck, and I think we should save some for our week one preview, but where's your head out with Indiana? I could almost just have gone away and just recorded my notes on Northwestern and just played them back. Except for they didn't fire the coach. Right. The only real difference here is Tom Allen started his descent when uh, Kalen DeBoer, DeBauer went to Fresno State as the head coach. He was the offensive coordinator. Like that year, he seeing what he did at Fresno and seeing what he did at his first year at Washington kind of uh, cements that he was the engine that drove that train. Allen was the motivator and the, and the CEO, but his offense is what made that a really good team. And he's a really yeah. good coach and he's a better coach. I than forgot Tom about Allen that, is. man. I, I completely yeah. forgot about that. That's a great point. And now that, since he's been gone, the, the program and you catch lightning in a bottle at Indiana with somebody like that, they're never going to stay. They're going to get a job bigger than the Indiana offensive coordinator. So you catch lightning in a bottle and you hope you do it once every couple coaching cycles. It uh, doesn't look like Tom Allen's going to get the next opportunity to try it with another coaching staff because my guess is this is his last half season, maybe full season at Indiana. Yeah, I think under that future scenario that I talked about with potential relegation, like we can just go ahead and pencil in Indiana for a future lower division, even of the Big Ten. Like, let's just let's not pretend let's put them in the second division because Gosh, I mean, for years and years, they've had the occasional sort of blip on the radar. I remember uh, 
they had the running back whose name is escaping me right now that was like a Doak Walker award winner. They had a couple guys with Tevin Coleman when he was a running back. But, yeah, I mean, it's been a rough go since post-pandemic for them since, yeah, they lost their former offensive coordinator. So let's just move on. <laughs> Rinse and repeat. Probably say some of the same things again for this third school, this third bottom feeder. I've got Rutgers, similar over-under, the exact same over-under, actually, of four. Similar to Indiana, I think Rutgers is rudderless, and it's sort of a bummer to say that because I like Greg Schiano, I do, but this is not the Rutgers of old. The rich have gotten richer and the poor have gotten poorer. I, I don't think you're going to see that Schiano uprising like you did during his first go-round. I think that it's very difficult to recruit and retain at Rutgers, even if you are able to find a diamond in the rough. They do have an intriguing athletic quarterback in Gavin Wimsat. Unfortunately, he couldn't hit sand if he fell off a camel uh, last year. 44.8% completion percentage is bad. And he has nobody to throw to. Shiano's squad does have a bunch of experienced running backs to choose from. And you're always going to see some tough dudes on defense, including Desmond Ingbenosin brother of Davison Igbenosin. Leading tackler Deion Jennings also returns. He's a solid, solid linebacker. But I, I just think Rutgers is outclassed, especially in the Big Ten East. And their crossover games with the West include Wisconsin and Iowa. So they're already in the tougher half. And then you get arguably the best two teams from the West, like, it's going to be tough sledding for Rutgers. I'm definitely taking the over, the the under. I'm sorry on their their four win total. Yeah, this really boils down to I think you hit it on the head, but it boils down to two things. One, their talent level just isn't good enough. Period. And two, Shiano's Shiano's defense. He could scheme his way to a competent defense but he'll never have a dominant defense because of the same thing. He just doesn't have enough talent. They don't have enough talent. His defense or his coaching acumen makes his defense not, not be terrible, but his offense is terrible. And there's just no light at the end of that tunnel because of the talent deficiency. I'd like to see them get an offense or be somewhat relevant too, because like I said, I like Shiano and, yeah, he can coach the hell and scheme the hell out of a defense. He really can. He had some standout guys last year. I remember uh, writing about their safety, Christian Izian, I think. Um, super fun guy to watch. Could play anywhere on the field, whether that's up front or in the back. And, and they've got some guys like that. But, yeah, the talent level is just not there. And even if they were to stumble upon it, guys playing one year at Rutgers and moving on. Unfortunately, and that's current state, maybe we'll see that change. The last bottom feeder that I've got here, Chuck, is Michigan State. Uh, their over-under, again, in June was four and a half wins. I think that this team is going to continue to struggle. I think that 2021 was and will be proven as a total anomaly. However, <clears throat> I don't think that Mel Tucker is a bad coach. He just sort of became the victim of his own success. Signing that enormous deal after one freaking season in East Lansing, which I drove through that this past weekend. It's God's country. They had an okay roster. Go back to like February or whenever. 
with Peyton Thorne and Keon Coleman in the fold, but both transferred after spring practice. They also lost Jaden Reed. So this passing game might just be awful. Uh, you know, running back Jalen Berger will be back, but he cooled down after a hot start last year. I will say on the other side of the ball, though, the Spartans definitely have some guys specifically in the front seven. Jacoby Winman looks like, or he looked like Lawrence Taylor during the non-con last year. Cal Doc Halliday is a beast at linebacker. And interestingly, they added a former five-star, according to rivals, in, oh man, Tunmiche Adelie. I hope I got that right. I think that I did. He was actually committed to Ohio State at one point, but backed off and signed with Texas A&M as part of their 2021 class. Not the 2022 class that was number one, but their 21 class, which was still in the top 15, I think. Uh, Again, he was a five-star according to rivals, but he did not do too much, really anything, uh, in two seasons for the Aggies, but the pedigree is there. Unfortunately for Michigan State, I guess, Nobody trusts their secondary, nor do any of us have a reason to. That unit was embarrassing in 2021 and just bad last year. So where are you at with Michigan State, Chuck? I don't think Mel Tucker's a bad coach, but without Kenneth Walker, like we're talking about his job. Literally, he would be on the hook. Like they might have, he would be on the hot seat because he would have never got that extension. I mean, Kenneth Walker III literally made that season for him that he had his his defense has stunk every year he's been there and he's a defensive coach like at some point he's like the opposite of shiano shiano gets the most out of his talent as a defensive schemer and mel tucker's like ah I, we, do we have a defense like he just he, he hasn't done anything on that side of the ball so this is he could have a similar record to these other three teams and it's in 10 times more embarrassing if he does because he has the resources. He is probably a better coach, but for whatever reason, he's not showing it. And it's sad because Michigan state should be good. Yeah. Look, I I think Mel Tucker needs to recruit and develop because to your point, he's a defensive guy and that's the unit that stinks. And part of it is circumstance, right? And he's forced to, or has been forced to, bring guys in with experience but I think there's something to be said for building it up and that's what I think Mel Tucker can be better or best at you know look they've had recruiting classes in the neighborhood of the top 25 so just keep but they keep adding freshmen instead of or they should keep adding freshmen instead of copious amounts of transfers and just build the program naturally I Again, I know that he was kind of forced to attack the portal early, but I would like to see him and them keep stacking and then maybe resistance will come. I know it's, again, early right now, but they have the number 49 recruiting class for 2024. You got to do better because we've seen the result of bringing in 20 transfers each and every year. Sometimes you're going to hit more often than not, you're going to miss. So that's been the case of Mel Tucker. And those are the four bottom feeders I have. Chuck, are there any teams that you want to throw into this that we can talk about quickly? Or do you think that there are a bunch actually in the pretenders category that we'll talk about next week? 
take me to this, and I'll, I'll be completely honest. After this conversation, I need a shower and a cigarette and maybe uh, two fingers of the finest bourbon I can find in my uh, basement. Yeah, it's a sad state of affairs at the bottom of the Big Ten. Probably say that about a lot of conferences, but at least three of these schools are, man, they're pretty much dead to rights. Um, maybe Northwestern, or I'm sorry, maybe Michigan State rebounds a little, but even then, we ju- literally just hit on some of their problems and the obstacles that they're facing. So, yeah, now that everyone's dirty and depressed, I think we should probably wrap up this week's episode. So that's what we're going to do. But yeah, in future weeks, we are going to talk about the middle class. It's probably fair to refer to the pretenders as that. Teams that might be plucky, might pull off an upset or two, but are uh, probably not real contenders. And then, you know, obviously, two weeks from now, we'll talk about the the best of the best in the top of the conference. So that's going to be it for us. Chuck and I are going to get out of here. We're going to go ahead and skip listener questions this time, just because we've had a long episode. And uh, I know Chuck loves hearing my voice for 90 minutes. Maybe some of you guys feel differently. And I'm parched and I'm hungry. And I think it's just time to end it. So for Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. Um, you know, appreciate you guys listening. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. Find us on social media. Interact with us, please. We love it. We can got, not get enough of that. And we will get back to the listener questions at some point. So, uh, you know, until then and until next time.